Welcome to the D3500 podcast, the podcast for D3500 operators by D3500 operators. That's right. So this is your one-stop shop to go for D3500 talk. So you're you're on D3500 for about 22 years now, is that? Tw- is it? 22 years in August. 22 years. Yes. Yeah. How about you, sir? I'm pulling up 17. 17. So I'm <sighs> kind of the young young pup here. <laughs> yes, it takes quite a few years to master the um, D3500. There, there are others. I mean, we'll just, if anyone news listening, there's other machines that do something similar, but there's nothing like the D3500. Nothing even remotely close. Yeah. So yeah. we had some questions, some listener questions, and we'll just kind of get around to those. Uh, first off, I can't stress this enough. And Terry, I know you feel just as passionately. Yes, I do, Timothy. When you're when you're oiling your D thirty five hundred, use thirty weight oil. Thirty I, weight for sure. I can't stress that enough. I mean the the forty the forty weight's just a little mm, cheaper, yeah, and it's easier to come by. Right. You have to go through a special um, place in Michigan to get it. Yes, but it's not like the thirty weight. The thirty weight your machine will run a lot quieter. A lot quieter. You're going to have lower temperature readings, better output, yes. and don't get me started about the flange. Don't get me. Listen, I'm very passionate about the flange. Clean your flanges weekly, people, not monthly. It says it in the the, the material. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this person's name. I was told by someone that they they're only once a month they're looking at their flanges. Once a month. The clearly in page seven in the operator's manual, it says once a week. Even, and that's it with moderate that's only with moderate usage. Once a month is not enough flange time. Honestly, Terry, to hear that there are people out there treating their D3500s like that, it makes me nauseous. Yeah. It I, makes me sick. I don't I don't know how you can sleep at night, for sure. So this is a very controversial topic that we promised not to get into before, but we've had a question about Every it. Every time we get into this, we it's gut-wrenching. But go ahead. There, go ahead. There are two sharply divided schools of thought. Now, you got your guys in the, in the upper Midwest quadrant that, that run it one way. You got your guys down in the southern swamp states that do it the other way. Yes. And yes, you people that you you already know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the two schools of thought on calibration: tank method versus metric method. Uh, Don't get me started. And and metric is a touchy subject Incredibly. anyway. But listen, scientifically, metric is the way to go. I mean, it's it's base ten units. I don't understand why why we want to go through this standard conversion rate failure. I don't understand that. Okay, and speaking of that very touchy subject, it looks like we have a caller on line three who actually wants to weigh in on the whole uh, calibration tank method versus metric method. Uh, This is John from Minnesota. John, are you there? Terry, Terry, tell me. Yes, yes. Can you guys hear me? We can. How are you? Listen, I don't do that metric stuff. Oh, okay. My D3500, I've been running it for 27, did you say 22 years? Okay. Yes, sir, 22. 27 years. Okay, all right, okay, look, look. I don't do any of that metric <clears throat> stuff. You don't have to. Okay. There's a revision on the manual. We talked okay. about this. Sir. There's a new PDF download. Sir, we've already known about the PDF download. This is why I didn't want to get into this subject. Well, I think we lost him. Good. Let me let me address this guy. Okay, yeah, the PDF download comes up every week. How dare you, good sir? First off, first of all, I have, let me calm down. Let me calm okay. down. Yeah, yeah, calm down, sir. Listen, sir. Everyone knows that PDF is unsubstantiated gobbledygook that came from China, and it does not work. Okay. You know what else came from China? 
the brass flanges. The brass flanges. Remember the brass flanges? I bet this fool uses the brass flanges as well. So you can take that and... Okay, anyway. You'd have to be an idiot to use those brass flanges. People, thank you, all of our D3500 operators and enthusiasts. Thank you for listening to another yeah, episode of this podcast. That's all the time we have, and, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Remember, treat your D35s well, and they'll treat you well. And as always, if the flange clearances don't jive, you must not be using a, a D35. D35. Quiet your Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Don Amantis, www.donamantis.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Don Amantis. This is not, I repeat, this is not the D3500 podcast. I would rather share company with a serial killer Nazi sympathizer than somebody who doesn't check their flanges in their D3500 <laughs> weekly. Check those flanges, people. <laughs> those flanges aren't checking themselves. No, they don't check themselves, especially the brass ones. Oh, brass. <laughs> now you're just trying to be funny. <laughs> Everyone knows stainless steel is the, the proper flange material. Yes, of course. Yeah. I, I just want to go back to pretending like we're talking about a <laughs> fictional piece of equipment. I'm bummed. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to tell them uh, what the D3500 does. Oh, no. uh, oh well. What's this episode about if tonight? If you don't know that, we're not going to tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's that. Yeah, you can Google that. <laughs> so I flubbed up on the last episode, uh, and I said it was sixty-five. That last one was actually sixty-six, making this one sixty-seven. Is that oh, right? I can't believe you did that. I know. I, yeah. I tried to do it by myself, and I can't even count right. What the yeah, hell? that's like the once a month flange checking. That's unacceptable. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. No one's going to be like, hey. What the devil? What the, I'm not. Uns- what am I? Oh, 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 I'm looking at my phone here, and the numbers aren't jiving. Unsubscribed. Yeah. Now, <laughs> done. I'm going to listen to a podcast that can keep count. <laughs> Welcome to the Counting Podcast. This yeah. is episode 74. Yeah. Hey, there was a guy on that Vsauce. He does these science videos. He did prime numbers for like, I don't know, I think like eight hours or whatever. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's all I did. Just sat there and read prime numbers. I wonder who's listened to that. Uh, It's got like millions of views. So Or million. Yeah. It's, yeah, YouTube channels. Yeah. Yeah. So more people have listened to a guy just reciting numbers than they have listened to us. Well, but, but, but he does have a lot of, or there's actually three of them now. There's now three Vsauces, but they're actually pretty cool. Uh so, I mean, they already have the fan base. So, once you already uh, get the fan base, you can do what you, whatever you want because you got your loyal. And I think that probably a lot of the fans probably put it on and went to sleep. Maybe that use it as like a sleep aid <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, Vsauce 2 is my favorite because the guy does Can You Survive different movies. He does Can You Survive Die Hard. Can You Survive like uh, Mad Max. Not Mad Max, but the newest one, uh, whatever that was called. But they, he basically, 
you know, it's kind of like Mythbusters a little bit. Talks about the physics behind it. And if okay. this happened to you, could you survive? They should do a Can You Survive Home Alone? Uh, he might have done you, that. If you were one of the robbers, he might have done bandits. that. Wow. That's so funny. I, I think he did do that. Really? Yeah. I don't, I would yeah. submit you couldn't survive yeah. that. And the cool thing about it is it's not just the guy talking about it. Like the beginning of the, those shorts, like the guys like dressed up like the characters and like oh, there's a little cool. bit of acting and stuff. They're pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Vsauce 2. I, I think that's Vsauce 2. It might be 3. I might, I might, I might be off of my Vsauces. <laughs> so anyway. God, you sound like a guy that uses 40 weight oil on his D3500. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep bringing up this D35. Um, so my original idea, for, I'll just tell the podcast people, my original idea, because we'll never do this skit. I can't believe you're even mentioning it. You, you don't. You think it's no? Mention it. It's funny. Go ahead. Well, it's not really funny. That's why we're not this. So, in, <laughs> if you are out there and you are hashtag woke, um, this is why we didn't do it. I'm telling you, this this didn't make the cut. Uh, now we're going to kind of do it. Uh, <laughs> I said like it could be like a very specific podcast, like four serial killers from a serial killer so it's like a guy like doing his own podcast and you, you'd say i'm your host ted and i'd be like hello i'm also your host yeah jeffrey and then we'd say and we also have <laughs> billy simpson from down the street or whatever and he'd be like yeah of course you won't want to give your name i guess but, or his name but uh so yeah that was kind of our poor taste yeah. But we didn't do it, we though. We didn't do it. Yeah, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Can't do anything. We didn't do it. But hey, I did. Did I send you a picture of the t-shirt I just ordered? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, I ordered. It's a political t-shirt. I don't get political for Oh, much, yeah. But it's uh, 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 about the upcoming presidential election. Okay. It says Bundy Dahmer 2020. Oh, that's a good ticket. <laughs> it's a killer ticket. <laughs> really? So yeah, that's oh, coming in the mail. Man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you, there are some people that would say that you are supporting their behaviors by wearing that shirt. What yeah. would you say to that? It's a fine line, I know, because I, I definitely am not, I don't know, how do I defend that? Because they, they were monsters who murdered between them like over, what, over sure. 50 or 60 yeah. people, innocent people. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted the shirt, so I don't know how to justify that. I guess. I guess I would say that you're like almost pro psychology of these people, not pro psychology, but you like, you're interested in it. Like, yeah, not pro, I'm not a pro killer, <laughs> but you're just in, it's an interest. So everyone has their interests and they wear a shirt with their interests on it. Why can't you wear a shirt with your interest? I mean, obviously I can, I, I know 150%. I'm 150% sure about this. If you could go back in time and someone's like, here, here's a time machine, go and, Saul, you know, go and keep that guy from killing people. You you would, uh, that's all, that's the only thing you're allowed to use this time machine for. And you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. I want to do that. That would be awesome to be able to stop. Yeah, that I'd guy. go, I'd go find young Ted peeping in ladies windows. Yeah. That's how he got started. Yeah. And I'd say, Ted, you're a bright, handsome guy. Let's, yeah. let's focus more on the law stuff, which I know. And then I'd run over to Milwaukee and I'd find Jeffrey. Yeah. And, and I'd say, Jeffrey. Man, I know that your fantasy is to be with a dude that's that's yeah. submissive, but how about we just try to find healthy boundaries and yeah, you know, how about you? And don't have you ever that? had like um, a nice taco? I mean, <laughs> it's got to be better. It's got to you know a nice beef taco that's like gourmet style with all the fixings. That's got to be better than a than a than a guy's ass. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't mean like the sexual me. I mean no. Just, I like, know you're talking eating. about cannibalism. The, yes, from yes. Dahmer. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. I didn't want to cross the line there. But what if he was like, I don't know. You put a little oregano in there, a little salt, a little pepper. What if they convert you and they're like, well, here, here, I have some taco. Oh man, that's that. See, I told you tacos are great, and the guy's like, no. That's a human taco. Or, <laughs> or even scarier, <laughs> while you're talking to Jeffrey, he's like, yeah, I'll tell you what, you convince me. Here, here's a drink I made for you. Yeah. Convince me. <laughs> and you're like, okay, hey, 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 hey. hey you I almost got me there. <laughs> I came all the way back in time for this. Yeah. <laughs> I almost ended up in your fridge, buddy. You know, I, I think your logic's sol- solid. I mean, I think you could just go back to those guys and talk to them. <laughs> oh, sure. That's all it would take. Just a, just a nice... You know, I never thought about not killing. <laughs> Thank you. I see the air of my ways. Oh, man. I just listened to like a three-part uh, podcast series about Bundy, and I've... As if I didn't know all this stuff before. Yeah. But just hearing it again, golly, what, yeah. a, what a crazy monster. Oh, man. man. Yeah. Uh, Norm MacDonald has a bit about like everyone wants everyone wants to go back and kill kill Hitler before he gets a chance yeah he's like but what if you go back and you get uh transfixed by his beautiful eyes <laughs> he had a lot of good points actually yeah exactly yeah he really wanted me to know yeah. that's so ironic because lexi was talking my daughter was talking about that this morning and i i can't even remember how she got to it but she was just like would you go back and kill baby hitler and i was like actually that's kind of a, a famous yeah, oh debate. yeah, that's a time travel conundrum. And I was like, "What would you do?" And she's like, "I'd go back and I'd punt him all the way across." Yeah, 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 I would. And we got into it a little bit about. And, yeah, and well, what's funny is no one ever talks about like raising baby, baby Hitler. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pent up baby aggression, and I think they just, <laughs> I think they just put it out on baby Hitler. They must. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you want to hurt a baby? That's like, funny. That's, Why can't you nurture it? I don't hear that one enough. I know. I go back and I just nurture. And I, say I just it too. love him. I just nurture him. I would too. But that's funny because that's what that's that's how it came up. Lexi said, "Isn't it funny that even Hitler at one time was a chubby little baby that yeah. was cute, and everybody was like, oh, little Adolf, Louis crawling. He's you didn't tell me Adolf was crawling.' Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, no one. I yeah. don't even know that anybody could go back in time. There, you you've gone back in time. You've got the rifle or whatever. Where is he? And you find little baby. He's a little chunky, fat yeah. baby Adolf, and he's crawling across the floor. Could you really cap a baby? Yeah, in or the like head? think a toddler Hitler. Yeah, he's like walking around like blah 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 blah. You know, it's like <laughs> like you could like he's like da da. Yeah, you know, or whatever they say in German. Uh, Fasha. Yeah, I don't know. That might not <laughs> <Fasha>. be it. <laughs> <laughs> Dad is Fasha. But yeah, yeah, you you couldn't do it. I mean, the best thing is to um take them and nurture them and uh yeah, but I mean, uh you know, the world uh, was a tumultuous place. It, I mean, it still kind of is in in some degree. I mean, you would just think that and it's the classic thing everyone always says that someone else would take their place. There's mm. still the Mussolini guy and there's, you know, Paul Pot. Yeah, there's still all, yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's still um there's still troublemakers out there, even if you take out one. Uh, anyway, maybe if you just went back and bought Hitler's art, if yeah, you, I think if he would, yeah, I've heard of if he would became a, and he was a good artist. That was the, yeah. literally the only good thing I guess I can say about him. Yeah, <laughs> I think I could paint good. Well, I think you would have to truly stop World War One to keep World War Two, because I mean, it totally. I mean, not to get too crazy into history, but the destabilization of all that caused basically uh, Germany's economy is terrible and they had had like that party went rose to prominence because 
basically a thing like, hey, we can, you know, we need new leadership. And whenever you're just beaten down and starving, it's kind of easy to believe someone that some blowhard, you know. And if you want to go back even further and split hairs even more, basically one lone assassin deciding to sit down and have a sandwich in one particular shop more or less uh, yeah. more or less sure. started the domino effect that led to world war 1 yeah remember yeah. yeah because they were all along the parade route and something happened so all of them were scattered it's like i guess we're not going to do it today no killing this guy today so he sits down and uh they ferdinand yeah yeah uh, they happened to take a different Arch route Duke. and yeah. yes and they had a flat right by this guy and he looks over and he's just like well, I'll be goddamned. Yeah. And he grabs his pistol, and then history changes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's so many little things like that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So let's not get in time machines and start messing up stuff and thinking. I mean, every time travel movie you ever see, I mean, it eventually ends up okay. But think about it. You change one thing, and it messes up another. Yeah. Uh, there's a famous, uh, well, not fam- I don't know how famous this is. I don't know why I started like that. But there's a Simpsons episode where Homer, Homer gets a time machine. He keeps going back and forth and trying to fix things. And when he gets back to the present, like he thinks everything's fine because everything was real wonky. And he's like, okay, everything looks normal. And he asks this guy, he's like, he's like, oh, man, it's been an incredible journey. He said, he's like, I, all I want is just have a donut. And the guy's like, what's a donut? And he's like, ah! And he gets back in the time machine. <laughs> but then it starts raining, and the rain is donuts. And the guy puts up an umbrella. He's like, "It's raining again." Like oh, right after he left. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, that would have been that would have been his dream world. Just think about this changing. It's the butterfly effect. Yeah. Think about this. Like, you, let's say you go back. Like, oh man, when I was eighteen, me and my girlfriend were going to town to watch a movie, and we got in, we got in that wreck, you know. And I'd probably change that. But what if you getting? What if you change that so you don't get in the wreck? You make it to the bowling alley. And you bowl on a lane that this other family was going to bowl at, and instead they get into a wreck and die. And oh, one yeah. of the people that died was going to go on to, and sure. it just like extrapolates yeah. and boom, and it's so huge by the end of it that maybe you change the entire course yeah. of human civilization. And have we not heard enough country songs where it's like unanswered prayers and <laughs> God bless broken road, <laughs> lead me back to you. <laughs> you know, we've heard those songs, uh, and there must be something to them because. Um, I think it just works out like this. If you're a pretty decent dude or, or female, uh, something bad happens, you regroup because you're a decent pers- person and you're a problem solver, and then you end up having a good life despite it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's I think that's kind of the key tenet of that. It's yeah, like, a lot like – good example for me uh, is, like, say, your first girlfriend is Sarah. And at the time, you're like, I wish we were together forever. Pre, praise God, if right? anything ever happens. I know I shouldn't use that name. And then looking back, you're like, oh, my God. You know, I'm yeah. sure she's a fine lady, but, you know, I like where my life is yeah. now. So, yeah, yeah sure. That's, that's where that whole, yeah, like, boy, I'm, I'm sure glad that. If I could only have through. one thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, th- I've had those. I've had those little unanswered prayers before. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, that, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you just think. You know, be careful what you wish for, that type of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I haven't seen Sarah in 25 years. I'm sure she's fine. I'm sure she's doing great. It wouldn't have worked. No. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. <laughs> All right. What do we got for tonight? We've got the case of, the curious case of Lori Erica Ruff, 
Oh, yeah. Not, Sounds curious. Not many people have heard of this lady, but she was a very adept and mysterious identity thief. Oh, all right. And she wasn't even really discovered who she was or what she had done until years after she died. We haven't really ever talked about. We've talked about the the one where the, the guy was pretending to be other people, but like making up new people. Oh, yeah. But we haven't really done identity theft. Gerhardt's writer. That yeah. Guy, yeah. The Seigsdorf swindler. I mean, he, he did. It was kind of identity theft, but he 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 didn't say I'm this person. He said, I have this last name, you know. Yeah. Rock, Rockefeller, I think. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what do we got? Let's let's roll with this All one. Right. I like it already. All right. So John Blakely Ruff was from a well-to-do East Texas family with whom he was very close. In the early 2000s, John was living in the Dallas area and was active in one of Dallas's many churches. This is where he met Lori Erica Kennedy in a Bible study group in 2003. John and Lori hit it off immediately, and before long, he was totally in love. John's family, however, were not quite as smitten with their son's new love interest. There were many things about her they found odd. She was extremely socially awkward at family gatherings, always coming up with excuses to leave early or to not come at all. Also, she was incredibly secretive about her past. Any questions about her life before John were either sidestepped, ignored, or answered with a sharp, that's none of your business. Oh, she gave him the nunya. Yeah, so nunya that's always business. good. That's, oh, yeah, that, that's, that makes the family feel great. <laughs> But despite her mysterious past and his parents' misgivings, there was something about the painfully awkward shy brunette that John adored. Less than a year after meeting her, John would propose, and to his delight, Lori said yes. But true to her antisocial tendencies, when she discovered John's mother had called the local paper to inquire about placing a wedding announcement, Lori insisted the couple forego a traditional wedding and elope instead. John relented, and in January of 2004, the pair secretly met in a church outside Dallas for a quick, under-the-radar ceremony. The only person in attendance, other than them two, was the officiating preacher. Oh. What is well, it? I mean, not not anything, like, crazy shady about that, but, I mean, no. I feel like that's just the beginning. You know, isn't it funny, a lot of times, I, maybe if you're listening to this and you haven't been in a relationship like this, good for you. But you ever been one of those just not good relationships where at the time you find yourself constantly saying you find out something or they say something or you see something they do and you're like, uh, yeah, but we'll deal with that later. Sure. You're, yeah. Like making little excuses almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, like, yeah, okay, well, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sure she I'm sure she didn't mean that or oh, yeah, you just oh, well, I'll just I'll just let that one go by. Yeah. I'll ignore that. And then it's only afterwards when you look back, you're like, good God, there were red flags sure. flying at me like a wave. Isn't a there some kind of complex like that to where I forgot what it's called, but basically to where it's just what you're saying. Like nothing sticks like, yeah, everything, everything you downplay and, and it's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is probably a pretty common thing. I'm sure it is. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, yeah. Because I've done that before, too. Like, your friend says, hey, uh, what what about this? Like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. You know, oh, you're just blowing out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, every night she's not with you, she's with somebody else. Uh, yeah, she just has a lot of friends. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've done that, too. So, I that's what I'm saying. I don't find fault, really, in John, because, I mean, if... You'll let a lot of stuff go by if you're smitten. Yeah, for sure. If you're in deep smit, as Mike Myers would say. 
<laughs> John's family were none too pleased with the covert nuptials and were doubly disappointed to learn that the newly married couple had decided at Lori's insistence to move away from the family home in eastern Texas to live in the town of Leonard instead of staying nearby. So she immediately, not only is she antisocial, but the second they get married, she's like, hey, idea, let's move, you know, 100 miles away or however far yeah. it was. Leonard's a nice town, too. The laundromat, they keep it super clean. No, I, I have no idea. It's called the soapy wash tub. <laughs> yeah. Get a little close to home. No, it's all right. Uh, the couple started trying to get pregnant immediately after they got settled into their new home in Leonard. This proved to be easy for Lori, who ended up having, not easy, I'm sorry, for Lori, who ended up having multiple miscarriages. After several years of trying, the couple eventually did get pregnant through in vitro fertilization, and Lori gave birth to a healthy baby girl in 2008. Okay, cool. I'm sure that John and his family were hoping that becoming a mother uh, would change Lori's behavior, maybe for the better, but it actually got way stranger. Uh-oh. Now, it's worth mentioning here that although the couple may have seemed normal from the outside, Lori was still as secretive and awkward as ever. Even after being with her for five years, John still did not know really anything about his wife's past. All Lori had ever divulged was that she was from Arizona, had an unhappy childhood, her father had been a failed stockbroker, her parents were dead, and she had no siblings. But where her behavior got really weird was after the baby. Uh-oh. Lori grew increasingly protective of her child, she refused to let anyone else even hold her and would take the child with her even to the bathroom if other people are around, just to make sure no one else touched the kid. She also became obsessed with John's family history, all the while refusing to answer any questions about her own family history. Lori would ask questions, take notes, and examine family lineages, even making sure to make copies of family recipes. Her increasingly odd behavior eventually put a strain on the marriage, and when Lori eventually forbade John's parents from even having any contact with the baby at all, that was the last straw. A little more than a year after the child's birth, John moved back in with his parents and filed for divorce. Hmm. So her weirdness got to just be a little too much. But he left the kid with her? Uh, I, it sounds like that they were split in time. Oh, okay. While, even before the divorce was finalized. Oh, okay. Because I don't think it was ever finalized. I think she died first. Okay. But even before then, I think they were split in time with the baby. Okay. All right. Lori was reportedly devastated by this and did not take the news well. She began sending threatening messages to John's parents. So she's batshit. Yeah. And I think if we don't know that already, she's batshit. Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler, yeah. She, she began sending threatening messages to John's parents made a huge scene at one of their uh, custody exchanges, stole a set of house keys, and harassed John at his parents' house to the point that they had to file a cease and desist order against her. Her neighbors also reported some erratic behavior, claiming Lori would pace back and forth outside for hours talking to herself. They also reported that her baby girl would sometimes be wandering around outside unattended. Mm. So, yeah, it sounds like... I don't... I don't. doesn't sound like she was ever playing with a full deck. Yeah, I know is that insensitive, but after this, she was definitely. Well, I mean, it's the classic thing where a couple will think that having a kid is going to make things better, but it's a it's an amplifier of um, it's you know it doesn't make things no yeah like Jim Gaffigan said, imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it's like. Hey, I know we hate each other and we avoid each other, and when we are around each other for more than five minutes, yeah. we argue, but let's yeah. have a baby. Yeah. That'll fix it. 
Now, I will say, personal experience, um, if everything's okay, it makes things better. Yeah, true. If the foundation is there. Yeah. You guys have a good relationship. Like, if you get to the point to where, and and I'm talking more personally than I ever have on this podcast by saying this, but, like... If you're if you're kind of doing your own thing and she's doing her own thing and and your kids are getting older and you have more freedoms and stuff like that and it's not like you're doing your own thing because you don't like each other right it's because you just you know you have your own hobbies and they have their own hobbies and sometimes they don't match up so you're completely happy you're just doing different things but then you have a kid and then you have a common not that you have the kids so you can have the common bond again but it ends up doing that. Yeah, because a child takes all of your time. Sure. Both sure. of your time. Yeah. So yeah, now you're both surra- you're both surrounding this one thing. Sure. And it does. It does bring you closer together. Yeah, it does. It does. But if you're like you said before, if it's already going bad before, it's just going to go worse. Oh yeah, cuz those nights when the baby is crying all yeah. night. Super That's stressful. when you need that foundation. Yes, yeah. when you're in the supermarket and she and he or she is throwing a fit and throwing stuff, or yeah. when you're at a restaurant, and you yeah. gotta leave early. You gotta have that the foundation to be sure. there where you don't turn on each other. And I mean, I we're human, so my wife and I have even yeah. had tensions. Sure, where yeah, like, it's yeah, it's if tough. it's something we disagree, where I'm like I'm over there going. You know, like my wife might be going like, well, I think her stomach's hurting. I'm like, oh, funny how it didn't start hurting until we didn't give her what she wanted. Now yeah. she's screaming. And no, you don't know that. And, you know, <laughs> there's a minute or two there where you that will happen. I don't care how close you are. Yeah, let me tell you about something dumb I did the other day. It was <laughs> such a dumb comment to make. And I knew, I didn't even think it was going to make her mad. But as soon as I said it, I was like, uh-oh. I, <laughs> I have that feeling. So she's reading a book about potty training our son. And she's reading all these things you shouldn't, you shouldn't, shouldn't do. And like, I'm breaking them like crazy. I'm, I'm trying, I'm asking her what she, I'm, and she'll say, well, you shouldn't do that. It says in the book and she'll say the logic. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But, uh, one day I actually, somehow I conned him into sitting there and going poop in the potty in, in the living room. And, uh, so she had, you know, she was pretty high on this book and I said, well, I guess I should write a book. Oh, <laughs> but oh. I wasn't trying to be snarky. Oh. I really wasn't trying to be snarky. But as soon as I said, it, I was like, "Oh no, come on, words, words, come back! <laughs> don't re- don't vibrate the air and go into your eardrums, please." Yeah, you can't take it back. And she's like, "Well, I'm just gonna stop reading and trying to to learn and to help our son and yeah. like all the like." It's like, "Oh no, no!" I yeah. was just kind of joking around. It's like, but yeah, it was. A but because you guys there. have a foundation. Where you actually love each other. Well, it you come back from that. It didn't start a fight. No. Like later on, she goes, "Are you going to write your book now?" And it's yeah. almost like a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's that's what we do. <laughs> but I was like, "Oh no," because she'd spend a lot of time. And you know, I and if you listen to if you've listened to this podcast enough, you know that we're pro science and pro like new method and research and stuff like that. I'm definitely, you know, if somebody that's a expert in this writes a book. I mean, and it's a, and it's, and it's a, a, be, a best-selling book. Obviously there's some valid data there to back it yeah. up. I'm not trying to discredit that, but, no, but, but I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. So yeah, like, I, I should write a book. I've done the same thing yeah. and, and God bless her heart. Jessica is so protective <laughs> over, over our two-year-old. Sure. And of course, but, but she is, it's so sweet, but she's so protective over her. And so like, well, just like this morning, 
you know, we found out that a couple of kids in the daycare had gotten yeah. sick. Yeah. So I, you know, I did an about face. I came right back home with the baby. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, I've made those little comments before, like, I'll be walking out. Uh, maybe I'll take the baby. I'm going to, hey, I'm going to take the baby with me to the store because she likes to look around. And uh, and Jess will be like, she might ask me, like, oh, did you put, did you give her whatever, whatever? Or, yeah. you know, is she dressed, does she have her coat on? And I'm like, she's wrapped in bubble wrap. Don't worry. <laughs> and then as soon as before I even shut the door, I'm like, oh, damn. Why yeah. did I say that? You yeah. Know? And she'll just, you know, like, bubble wrap, seriously? You think just because I want our child not to freeze to death and yeah. catch pneumonia? And I was like, no, exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you went a little far with that bubble wrap comment. Yeah, yeah. I was like, God, why do I do, why do, I do it? Why? Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I do the same stuff, and, and the answer is I don't know. It's like you speak before you can think. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, the situation came to a head when, on Christmas Eve in 2010, John's father stepped outside to grab the morning paper. He noticed Lori's car parked in the driveway, and when he approached it to tell her to leave, he found her lifeless body inside the car, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Whoa. Also in the car were two suicide notes, one 11-page note addressed to, quote, my wonderful husband, and another addressed to her daughter to be opened on her 18th birthday. The roughs opened this letter as well, and it mainly contained just nonsensical ramblings. Uh. Despite all the turmoil since their separation, John was still devastated by Lori's death. I mean, that is his daughter's mother, right? Yes. She had been in his life for seven years. After Lori's funeral, John faced the unpleasant task of going through Lori's belongings and taking care of their final expenses because, you know, they were still technically married. Mm -hmm. The house was in shambles. The garbage was piled everywhere and stacks of dirty clothes and dishes, too. There were also piles of shredded papers that were covered in confusing gibberish. Inside one of the closets, John found a small lockbox. He remembered seeing the box before and how Lori had made him promise not to open it. Well, now he pried it open, and what he found inside brought his entire seven-year relationship with Lori into question. In the box looked like something out of a spy movie. There was a birth certificate of one Becky Sue Turner and a document showing she had changed her name to Lori Erica Kennedy. There were also several folded papers covered in random scribblings, among which was North Hollywood Police, and another phrase was 402 months, and another was Ben Perkins scribbled on this. And it turns out Ben Perkins was a Los Angeles attorney, but when contacted about the case, he claimed he had never even spoken or to or even heard of Lori Ruff, Lori Kennedy, or Becky Sue Turner. And this makes sense because Turner, uh, this guy strictly, Perkins, not Turner, strictly offered his services to only African-American clients. He had never taken a white client. So, I know your wheels are like really turning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what year was this again? 2010. Okay. All right. I'm trying to pl put myself in the time frame. So John and the authorities were now faced with one huge question. Who the hell was Lori Ruff? Yeah. An investigation ensued, and although her true identity was not revealed, a timeline was plotted out. And here it is. It turns out Becky Sue Turner was really a two-year-old baby who had died in a house fire in 1971. The woman they knew as Lori Ruff acquired Becky Sue's birth certificate in May of 1988 and three weeks later used that to get an official Ohio ID card with her picture and Becky Sue Turner's name. Whoa. Then she almost immediately changed her name from that to Lori Erica Kennedy on July 5th, 1988 in Dallas. 
She then successfully obtained a social security number, Texas ID card, and U.S. passport, and Texas driver's license as Lori Kennedy, all by the March of 1990. That same year, she enrolled at Dallas Community College. Now, there's a pretty big gap after 1990, but we do know that she graduated from the University of Texas at Arlington with a degree in business administration and then filed for Chapter 13 bankruptcy in 1997. Following this is another gap in the timeline, and the next significant event was with uh, when she met John in Dallas in 2003. Uh-huh. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that wild? I wonder Huge how many gaps. people right now living in the U.S., is living under a false name that they stole from someone that's deceased. You might be surprised. Yeah, it might you be might a be lot. Surprised. Because all you'd have to do is research and find a year that someone died, and then and then you just have to do well. It's I'm, it's probably more difficult now in the digital digital age, but back then you could just send something off like a lost birth certificate. What do you think they do when someone passes away with their social security number? Do you think there's a thing where they like delete well, it or like? Well, know? you got it's it's filed in a death index from doing like genealogy and stuff. I mean, okay, so like, yeah, so you couldn't steal another a dead person's social security number. Well, now. it should. I, I wouldn't think with the, with digit being everything digital. Right, right. So yeah. how the hell did she? How the hell did she do that? How yeah. the hell did she do that? I mean. I would think it was easier back then just to do a lot of that stuff by mail and stuff. Yeah, true. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was back in the 80s that she did yeah. all this. So, yeah, well, it was by 1990, but still that. So, yeah. So, and and I could be wrong about this, but I think my, I don't know, I, I sound crazy saying this, but. I remember when I was a little kid, I had a social security number that was different than the one I have now. And I could be totally wrong about this, but I've thought about this every time someone brings up social security numbers. I, and I guess I need to talk to my dad about it. And my mom, she won't remember now, but um, I remember first getting it and memorizing it. And it's not the same number as I have now because I lost it for a lot of years. And for some reason I got a new one. And it's it seems like it's a different number, really? but it might be the it might be the Berenstain Bears effect. Yeah, because I remember the I, I, I used, yeah I used to write it on stuff to help me. Remember, and it's not a great idea, but I was a stupid little. Kid. <laughs> I used to write it on stuff. <laughs> I don't know it because I didn't know the significance of it. Hey, I just knew it was my number. You ever done this at the store? I I swear to God, I've done it multiple times, and thankfully, I don't think anyone's ever heard me. I'll say my damn pin number as I'm <laughs> punching it in. Four, two, three, four. No, I've done like four, two, three. Nope, nope, no one heard me. Yeah, I've it, done that before. It's not as crucial as you would think because you have to get the card too. True. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess it probably can be. I don't know. I don't want to say. But uh, I don't know. That's just something that I've always thought. That Do you think that way back you you memorized the wrong number? Like how often? I remember is, seeing is the like, card. Is it like one digit off? The, no, it's like a lot of numbers off. Really? Yeah, I don't remember what the old number was, but I remember it had like three five four in it. I remember that was three of the numbers. Really? And my new one doesn't have three five four in it. That's weird. It's very bizarre, and and, and I don't know. It's it's just like it's almost like a dream too, though. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm probably crazy. 
I don't, well, I don't know. Or what if I didn't have it for a long time. And then when I was like 15 and I was going to start working, we like filed for one and got it. And it seems like it was a different number. And I remember getting, it. I was like, this is different. And my parents are like, no, that's, I mean, your social security number never changes. So I probably just forgot it. No. You know what happened? What's that? When you were a small child, after you'd heard this other number, that was the right number. Boom. Your father sees a murder. He testifies against this guy in court. You are a product of the witness protection system. Yeah, I probably lived they in changed, another state. Yeah, you were just really young at the time. They changed your social security number, put you in another state. Listen to me, man. That's what happened. I think we gotta we gotta track this. And now I'm talking about this on a podcast. Yeah, I'm dead. As you're talking, I see a little red laser dot yeah. on your forehead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I got a visual. Good job, man. It's a scene from a movie. So after some investigation, a basic timeline of who Lori had pretended to be existed from about 1988, that is, up until the time of her suicide. But who was she before she assumed Becky Sue Turner's identity 22 years before she died? The answer to that question continued to elude the roughs. In September 2011, they gained the help of former Social Security Administration investigator Joe Velling. That's the person I need to call. It is. my Social Security number. Uh, maybe. I don't, you don't want to out yourself in your new identity. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll let sleeping dogs lie. You were Terry Goldstone before. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> identity theft is a crime, and Lori had clearly stolen the identity of little Becky Sue Turner, so Velling was keen to check the case out. It didn't appear that she had stolen the identity for financial gain, though, and her fingerprints did not show up in the criminal database, so it was unlikely that she was fleeing punishment for some crime. For two years, Velling used every tool at his disposal and, like those who tried before him, came up empty-handed. Then, in 2013, he enlisted the help of a reporter he knew at the Seattle Times who wrote an article about a mysterious woman called, uh, who had killed herself rather in Texas. The article caught a lot of interest and was reprinted and shared around the world. So, for nearly three years, the internet was abuzz with speculation over who Lori Ruff really was. And there was no shortage of theories. Had she run away from a polygamous cult? Was she fleeing an abusive partner? Had she committed a terrible crime? Was she in a witness protection program like we, Ivan was? Did she owe a bunch of money to Columbia House for the <laughs> five CDs for a penny? I don't know. Did you know anybody who actually paid for them? No. I didn't. No. <laughs> I th I've mentioned that on another podcast. Yeah. But I got that. I don't think it was Columbia House. There was another one. What was the other one? BMG. BMG. And it was like, pick your whatever, whatever CDs. And then you tear out the little things and tape yeah. them on the thing. Yep. Yeah. Or yep. was it you put in a code? I can't remember. No, I, I kind of remember cutting out the deals and I almost licking remember licking them. Yeah, the back too. and yeah. stamping them on there. Yeah. Yeah. And then my selection of the month. <laughs> yeah. I was like 12 or 13 and I got it and it was Elvis Costello. Oh yeah. You said that one time. That's how I discovered. I, I got was like, Enconium, which is a, a Led Zeppelin tribute nice. album. Had Hootie and the Blowfish and it had uh, Stone Temple Pilots did uh, Dancing, Dancing Days. Days. It's very good. It's a very good version. It is. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being like. Who the hell is Elvis Costello? I pop it in. Yeah, that's awesome. Watching the detectives. Yeah, man, I'm like, this is song. the greatest shit yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah, Thank that's you, BMG. I love that song. Yeah. yeah. But I'm still not going to pay you. Anyway, surely they went bankrupt. 
Uh, well, Columbia House didn't. Uh, BMG didn't. didn't either. They're like a legit. How do you give away millions of CDs without payment <laughs> and survive? Well, how did that's a terrible business model. I don't know. I didn't know anybody who paid for their CDs. Did you? Not one. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing. That just goes to show you. I mean, there's nothing in those CDs. There's like, I mean, they're ripping the artist off. And think about the material. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in us in yeah. a CD. Yeah. I mean, think about if you're producing millions of albums. I mean, it's just plastic. Yeah, true. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, what was I going to say about that? I was going to say something else. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. Don't you miss crazy. CDs? Uh, kind of, but then the, uh, it's a it's a crazy technology that we should have never done. We should have done mini discs in the cartridge. That's the thing that can't get scratched. Yeah, you never touch it. I I hate the idea that you know you we just had them in our car and I had those things on the visors where you slide the CDs in. Yep, and you go to play your favorite one, it won't play because there's weird a weird like ring around it. It's yeah, like, that drove me crazy. But one thing I that, like cassettes. Though. One thing that we are really missing out on these days with whether it be uh, vinyl or cassettes or CDs is that tangible physical thing. I remember there was a magic about it. Like when I would go buy a new cassette or CD, taking out the little sleeve sure. and flipping through the pages and seeing I hate the when it didn't and, have pages either. I know. It drove me crazy oh, like yeah. it was just front and back. Or sometimes you'd get really lucky and there'd be like a whole booklet in there. Yeah, and show like, all oh, the lyrics and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and pictures. Yeah. And I remember uh, In Utero with Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. You, it folds out and it's just like badass and yeah. there's all these pictures of Kurt and, and all the the uh it's just great it was yeah. great i just remember in the album remember the i the stone temple pilots album that had like ice cream on it which album was that it was the one that had uh it was a love song was stuff. that tiny songs from the vatican gift shop uh no no that has the little baby right in the i don't remember which one it was but no but but yeah you're right it's the same album but i mean the cd itself oh the cd itself had like it looked like it was ice cream or something remember oh, that it's all different colors and stuff huh. yeah uh, there's some albums that had that the just the CD itself was really cool. Okay, I remember the paint on it or whatever. There was yeah, was really cool. For some reason, I remember one of the Alice in Chains albums had a three-legged dog on the cover, and the plastic <laughs> so, was green. Yeah. Like it was still clear, yeah. but the actual yeah. CD case was dyed green. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know why I remember that, but yeah. So back Good to stuff. Lori. Yeah, Good stuff. <laughs> Most of the online investigating up to this point had simply been people pouring through thousands of missing persons cases and trying to match one of those to Lori's picture. However, in 2014, the case caught the attention of Colleen Fitzpatrick, a nuclear physicist turned forensic genealogist. She saw the final piece to the puzzle as something totally different, DNA. Ah. She knew Lori and John had a daughter and knew that if she could get a sample of their daughter's DNA, she could essentially subtract John's DNA from the daughter's, leaving mainly Lori's. And send it to 23andMe, <laughs> which didn't exist yet. No, she did. Oh. This was 2014? They did exist. Oh, they did? Yeah, the Ruff family provided a saliva sample, and Lori's DNA was extracted and put into the twenty uh, fan, the 23andMe database. For some reason, I just thought it was a couple years old. No. For, uh, yeah. Apparently, awesome. it was back as far as 2014. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow, cool. There were some hits, but mainly distant cousins who failed to provide a link to Lori's true identity. Then, a first cousin was found, a man named Michael Cassidy. But his profile had no details and no efforts to contact him 
All efforts, sorry, to contact him fail. Now, that's where the investigation stalled again. Fitzpatrick would check the site for new relatives every once in a while, but for the next couple of years, there was pretty much radar silence. All right. Then the name of a third cousin came up. You know, this was too dizzy of a relative to provide answers to Lori's identity, but Fitzpatrick could provide some clues through her family tree. Using the family tree, she landed on a familiar name. Michael Cassidy popped up again. And this time was able to narrow it down to the right Michael Cassidy. So between Facebook, online uh, obituaries, public records, and people finder tools used by private investigators, she put together a picture of the Cassidy family. She deduced that Lori's mother almost certainly was one of Michael's aunts. But which one? And what was Lori's real name? She called Vetting and told him what she discovered, and he was convinced she was right. Velling flew all the way to Philadelphia, where he, uh, where many of the family lived, to talk face-to-face and uh, finally put, maybe, hopefully, finally put an end to the mystery. And, and I'll say this. I don't have, um, I think you go digging in this little scenario, and I don't think you, it's, I mean, this is like from a movie, but you're, you're not going to like what you find. <laughs> I mean, it can't just be like, yeah, everything's fine here. She's decided to be weird and not want to use her name. Yeah. That's kind of my guess. I don't know. I haven't. Okay. Right. I don't know anything about this, but we'll it could it. be. She might have just been a little off. We'll test it. Okay. I know the answer. Ooh, I know it. It's in mm-hmm. my brains. And you don't. <laughs> I soon will. Yeah, we have we have like one more page of notes, so you will. Excellent. Once there, he met with one of the family members and began laying photos of Lori out on the table in front of them. The relative immediately exclaimed, oh my God, that's Kimberly, mm. and informed Velling that the woman in the photo was the daughter of Michael Cassidy's aunt, Deanne. And her father was James McLean. Lori Erica Kennedy was actually Kimberly McLean. Oh. A DNA test would later confirm. Yeah. Kimberly McLean is who who this gal really was. Okay. So after years of speculation and wild goose chases, the true identity of Kimberly McLean was now public record. But who was this person? And what had happened to cause her to leave her old life and live under various assumed identities until her death? Yeah, and why couldn't she just come McLean? I love it. The real story is actually you were nailed it right on the head. It is not that sensational. Yeah. Kimberly McLean was born in Pennsylvania in October, uh, October 16th of 1968. Her mother was a stay at home mom and her dad was a carpenter and a volunteer firefighter. Kimberly had a normal, uneventful, happy childhood. See, that's not what I was. I'm wrong. I, I didn't think it was. Happy. I thought it was not happy. This shocked me, too. Okay, okay. They sat down for family dinners every night, took summer vacations. Her dad built her a playhouse in the backyard. Then, while she was an adolescent, her parents divorced. Mm. Deanne met a man named Robert Becker, remarried, and moved the girls to Wankote, Pennsylvania, where Kimberly attended Bishop McDivitt High School. This is when the trouble started. Kim never recovered from her parents' divorce and never adjusted to her stepfather uh, or her new surroundings in Wankote. So it wasn't all okay, peaches I and you. cream, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Kimberly moved about half an hour away the minute she turned 18 in 1986, and she became very distant from the family. Then she sent her mother a message not long after that saying she was leaving for good and not to bother looking for her. 
from this time until the uh, she stole Becky Turner's identity in 1988 is just another of the mysterious gaps in her timeline. But even knowing all this, some questions remain. Why did she feel like she had to completely remove herself from her previous identity? She was 18 at the time. Even if she didn't want anything to do with her family, she could have just moved away and lived her life. Sure. Why the chameleon behavior? Yeah. What um, caused the mental breakdown and eventual downward spiral that led to her divorce and suicide? Were all the choices in her life, uh, in her adult life, I guess, a product of some sort of psychological impairment or paranoia or maybe schizophrenia or something like that, right? Um, that's my questions that I end with. I think, I don't know, could it, I guess divorce I've heard before, like Kurt Cobain always pointed back to his parents' divorce as when his like entire universe changed. And yeah. was, I guess it just completely, obviously I'm saying like, this is something you know, controversial, but I, I guess in a lot of children's lives, the divorce of their parents is just detrimental. Yeah, sure. Um, that and you, I mean, you just don't know that relationship between her and the stepfather. If there's anything bad there, yeah, definitely. That's something that a family, I mean, whoever they're talking to, that's something that maybe a family wouldn't just offer up. That oh, you're you're you uh, you're a reporter. Yeah, let me tell you about our skeletons in our closet. That's true. I mean, so maybe we're not hearing everything. So, of course, they were like, well, no, shit, good. Yeah, pretty normal. Yeah. I mean, he built her a treehouse in the backyard. Yeah, family barbecues. Yeah. Um, hot dogs on the 4th of July, pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if she were alive, she might be like, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you a couple yeah. of stories. Yeah, exactly. You never know. Yeah. yeah. And if that's the case, I feel terrible for her. Sure. Um, I mean, and it could just be straight mental illness. It could be like obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Um, she... She kind of gets addicted to the thrill of getting these other identities. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It could be a huge role-playing thing where she's like, hey, I want to try to be someone else, see how this works. That'd be fun, right? Well, yeah. Highly <laughs> illegal, but also fun. <laughs> so in 2016, Lori Ruff's name was officially removed from the federal government's database of missing persons. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's the story of, of uh, Kimberly McLean, I guess. I think that's, be- you know, that's probably... That's a crazy story, but there's probably other stories like that that are just kind of out there that, you know, I don't know, just like like I said before, there's got to be a certain number of people in the United States right now living under somebody else's name, and maybe they're not really hiding from anything. Yeah. So this is something, this is so strange, but just about two weeks ago, uh, not not too long before you know our friend Jeff disappeared. Sure, I it's so weird, and I have this mentality. And tell me if it's weird or not. And I know you'll be honest with me, but you never know. Every day when I wake up and I'm going to work or whatever I'm doing, it's the start of a new day. I think, what's what's the world going to be in, like by the end of today? Sure. You, every single day, like, I, I don't give a shit about basketball or any sports, but to hear that Kobe Bryant yeah. died in a helicopter, that's like, oh, my God. You know, yeah. when when my, when my Jeff disappeared, oh, my God. You know, it, yeah. every day there's a potential for something either amazing or terrible. Sure. Uh, you never know. You never. And, it's like and, a long time ago, we went, I went camping with my cousin and our daughters and stuff, and I went. We didn't have cell phone service all weekend, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and you'll know how about how long this was ago. Um, I can't really put my finger on it because you know you'll remember the news. 
But I finally got somewhere where my phone would work on like Saturday night because we were kind of up on a hill. We were riding four wheelers and stuff. And I called home to talk to Jennifer and, 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 uh, she said, Hey, yeah, Michael Jackson died. Oh, that's 2005, I think. Yeah. Or eight. Yeah. Or something like that. 2009. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, Michael Jackson died this weekend. Uh, But I just bring that up because it's just such a random thing. You know, it's like, like you expect them to be around forever, you know? Yeah. And you never, it's almost macabre because I almost do wonder more about the bad stuff. Not personal to yeah. me, but just like what you're going to hear about. Uh, maybe some, uh, maybe uh, some wacko will walk into a mall and kill forty people again, or you never know. Maybe the president will be. Who knows? Yeah. It, and every day there's that potential. Kind of the way I look at this, and it's and it's kind of a um, and it's and it's from a meditation that I that I listened to a while back, and basically this is kind of another like another mindfulness way to think of things. Like everything that's ever happened to happened to you, or that that ever will happen to you, anything you hear about, read about, anything somebody tells you about, it all goes into your through your brain, and that's a life experience. So basically, what this meditation was trying to get your mind around is like, listen, like you can hear bad news and realize, well, that's part of my life. Yeah, like it, it doesn't have to always be like. Where you where where you dwell on like bad news? Oh, that's that's too bad. That that made me depressed. Like, and basically, the point of this is to say, if something bad happens, something bad happens all the time. You can feel bad about it, but you almost have to be the hot air balloon floating over the traffic jam. I mean, you're in the hot air balloon. You that traffic jam is a beautiful thing because that's just, and that's your life. It's a crazy life. Right. But you don't always have to be in the crazy. No. Like you can be looking, you can be looking at it from like a different point of view where it's like, where you're not even like, well, that's bad news. Where you're just kind of like, well, that's part of my life. Even if it happens to somebody else, Mm -hmm. it's just part of your life experience. And you cannot control exactly what life throws at you, but you can control how you respond. That's right. And that's basically, and you nailed it. That's basically the whole point of that type of mindfulness. Yeah, I um, love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool in a way. And it sounds like, you know, a bunch of hooey and stuff, sort of. But there's something that you can't deny. Everything that happens to you processes through your brain. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, people say, well, what about your heart? Oh, okay, fifth planeteer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was so random. <laughs> from the, from the uh, you know. Captain Heart. Planet or yeah yeah aren't they planeteers? The, I think the so. People? Fifth planeteer. Yeah, because it's like because I always think wind, water, <laughs> fodder, and then and then the last guy's like heart. Yeah. I always thought it's like man, he gets heart. <laughs> I can make a dolphin love you. But anyway, <laughs> it's not very good mindfulness. Oh my god! But uh, what I'm saying is, is like you know like it's your brain. Come on, it's not your heart. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not nice about that. Hey, it is what it is. People, but, yeah. but I mean, yeah, you process it and, and you, you even have a choice if, if it's gonna, if you're going to keep processing it, it's just going to be circular, you know, input, just like going through your brain, causing the same types of bad firings to where you're all depressed. I mean, get in the balloon and get above the traffic jam. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> D3500. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up on such a like uh, Tony Robbins uh, type ending there. No, I mean, it's it's just. It's, but it's true. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, and it's true mainly because you make it true. Um, people get caught in ruts and I do too, I promise you, but you don't have to, you yeah. have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm converted. <laughs> one, there's one. Now there's a lot of people that are converted. When you start reading into this stuff and doing these things and watching YouTube videos, there's a ton of people that are awesome. Get out there and learn from them. Yes. And yes. if you never, if you ever pay attention to anything we've ever said, it is this. Check your goddamn flanges every week on your D3500, not week, monthly. Weekly. We said weekly, weekly. not monthly, weekly. not bi-weekly. You can't get away with that. No, your you D3500 will me? give out on you, and it's not covered by warranty. No. Makes me physically ill to it hear does. that people treat Physically. Physically. Like <laughs> monthly. Boy. Yeah. Anyway. So, next week, we'll be talking about serial killer Jack Untewig. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait either, man. Yeah. I'm, listen, whoever's listening to this, thank you. Thank you. Seriously. Seriously. There, God knows there are 57 gajillion trillion uh, podcasts to listen to, and you guys chose our little silly podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for allowing our ear droppings into your ear. Yeah. Into your ear. And we look at we look at SoundCloud. We see the, we see the place. Yes, we see those. We we see the the the, the stuff on on iTunes and and we yeah. appreciate it, man. Yep, we do. We yeah. really do. Yeah. Thanks for taking some time for us today. And what we have anything else, Joe? Is that it? Uh, no. Just treat your D thirty five hundred good. I can't <laughs> let it go. I just want to talk. Let's just start another podcast about this fictional piece of equipment and do an episode every month or every week. Every week, just like your flanges. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we. I feel like it should have been named, the podcast should have been named something about flanges. Well, it's, well, well God knows we'll probably do that. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to flange time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What if we did it as a joke, as a side podcast, and all of a sudden it's like 50 hits, 75 hits, 7,000 hits, you know, 1 million hits. I'd be so conflicted because I'd be like, hold on, hold on. Dawn of Mantis that we've put a couple of years of work into and, and every episode I put 10 hours of research into and we we do all this that gets 4,000 hits. And then when we just make up shit about a piece of equipment that doesn't doesn't exist, we get a million hits. Yeah, but I'd be happy. I'd be happy. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd just be happy either way. <laughs> I'd be happy. It's just it's just that seems like it almost seems like another podcast episode. It could be about the guys that were 66 episodes in. And they decided to do something funny as a gimmick, and it took off. Yeah. You know? It's just kind of a funny story. Yeah. It would be great. And then they changed their names, and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, they they had to find out who they really were through 23andMe. And then... <laughs> And then they get like uh, one of their one of their biggest supporters is some guy, some scriptwriter from Hollywood, and they do a D thirty five hundred movie, yeah, starring Ivan and Joe as yeah. Terry and Timothy. They could just show them in a factory using it, but and then show them on the podcast, but then then never show what it's making or what it's doing. It's just a random machine. <laughs> yeah, what does it do? It's like the internet's all a buzz about it. D thirty five hundred coming out this summer. Kari starring Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, hey, gotta check that flange every way. Now check, you should check your flange every way. That's a terrible impression. Check. <laughs> and Christopher Walken. Yeah, you gotta check that flange weekly. 
I just did the worst impersonations <laughs> no, of that's... those two gentlemen that ever. No, I, I mean, I thought, I mean, you could recognize them. I thought it was fine. I don't know. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger. <laughs> 38. So I'm, not, I'm not even, I'm even, not even attempted any. I've got two impressions and, and they aren't great. Yeah, those so. are all terrible. All right. So that's it for the D3500 people. We'll yeah. talk to you guys next time on Donna Mantis. Goodbye.